Father, we praise you and we thank you for you are good. Your grace is truly amazing. And your grace abounds and abounds constantly in our lives. And we're so thankful and grateful that to you, O Lord, we can trust, we can look. And know that from you is where our help comes from. We can look to you and know that in you we find life. In you we find joy. In you we find peace. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ who's brought us near through his blood. We praise you, O Lord, for this morning in your word that we can open it, that we can draw near to you, that we can understand you and grow in you. Father, help us to know you. Help us to know you, O God, in your ways and how you work. Teach us, guide us, direct us. Even now, speak to us. And Father, we ask that you would do this for the sake of your beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we call Lord, whom we serve, whom we bow down to, and whose name we pray even now. Amen. Well, this morning, we're back in the series, uh, not back in, in the sense that we left it, but uh, we're back in the series of experiencing God and understanding His ways. And this morning, we're going to look at how it is that God reveals His work to us. So far in this experience, sorry, in this series, in Experiencing God, we have looked at, laid some groundwork as to what this, what this actually means, um, setting out some basic context and definitions and such. And then we've been looking at this last couple of weeks, the realities, if we've gotten into the seven realities of experiencing God. What is needed to know and to do the will of God and in doing so experience him? What do we need to do? What are the things that uh, we should need to understand? And the, last week we looked at the reality, not, I'm sorry, the two weeks ago, uh, that God is always at work around us. God is at work. God is at work right now. God is in this room right now. God is working in hearts and lives and in minds. He's working in the community around us. God, we, God is in heaven, the Father and the Son, and the Spirit is actively at work. And that's how the Father and Son are at work in us, is by the Spirit even now. God is always at work. And that's pivotal in understanding and walking with the Lord and knowing what it is He's doing and what He's up to. He is at work always, constantly. Last week we looked at um, how it is we come to, uh, the, the fact that we need to come to realize that before responsibility, before God reveals his work to us, before God shows us what he's doing, the first thing he wants us to understand and know is our relationship with him. The most important thing is, is that our relationship with him is good. God's not concerned that we just do a bunch of stuff for him. Like somehow that's the most important thing. The most important thing is that we're, first of all, we know him. We're in relationship with him. And from that relationship, he uses us. He works through us. And that's a joy. That's a pleasure. That's a delight. If, if you've ever been used by God, you would say, amen, that is the great thing. It's like my life to see and to know that God working in me, through me, and ministering to other people. When you see God doing a work and you get to partici participate in that, that is a wonderful, delightful thing. And so this morning we're going 
we're going to look at the third reality, which is the fact that God will reveal his work to us and call us to join him in that work when the time is right. God will reveal his work to us. And one of the things we have to understand about this reality is that we need to make sure we are following God's plans and not ours. God's ways and not ours. In Psalm 81, 8 through 10, it says, My people did not listen to me. Israel did not obey me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own plans. If only my people would listen to me, and Israel would follow my ways, I would quickly subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. In Psalm 106, the psalmist is recalling all the things that God did for Israel in the Exodus. And all the, all the ways Israel, in turn, responded back to God. In verses 13 and 15 of Psalm 106, it says, They soon forsook, sorry, they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. God brings this accusation against his people because they were constantly doing their own thing. They weren't seeking the Lord. They weren't waiting on the Lord. They were not following the Lord. They were making their own plans and doing what they thought best in their own minds. Notice in Psalm 106 that the passage says that Israel's issue was that they did not wait on the Lord, on the counsel of God. They did not wait on his direction, but instead, what did they do? They lusted after the thing, this thing and that. They wanted, they desired. Whose will did they want? Did they want God's will or their own will? What was plain to see, they wanted their will and they wanted God to bless their will. So what does God do? In the passage, he says he gave them, okay, I give you what it is you desire. But with it came this great cost, the leanness of their souls. This means that they got what they lusted after, but with it, they received this shriveled up soul that lacked life, peace, and fulfillment. Always wanting, never satisfied. Sadly enough, This behavior is actually common among God's people. This is what we tend to do. We seem to always have a problem waiting on the Lord. Don't we? Waiting on the Lord. What do you hate about waiting on the Lord? The waiting part. (laughs) It's easy to want. It's easy to desire. It's easy to go after. It's hard to wait. It's hard when we, especially... If you want something or desire something, the waiting part is horrible. Wait, wait, no, I don't want to wait. I want it now. And that's always our problem. Following for us and waiting on the Lord is something we struggle with. And we often go ahead, we often run ahead, and then we find God's spankings on the back end. We want, we plan, we desire, and then then what do we do? 
Then we ask and we pray. We do pray, right? And what do we pray? Oh, God, bless this. Bless me, what I'm about to do. And when it doesn't turn out, or it seems that God isn't in it, we wonder, how could that be? That was a good idea. I I thought it was brilliant, as a matter of fact. It, It had all the makings of something great. And so what do we, we scratch our heads and we wonder what happens, so we go back to the drawing board and we draw up new plans, new dreams, new ideas. And we try those ones out to see if that's going to work. As Blackaby wrote in his book, he, he said that the most important factor in each situation was not that individuals want, what individuals wanted to do for God. The critical factor was what God was about to do. He then takes the example of Noah and says, what if Noah had planned to conduct a door-to-door evangelistic survey of his neighborhood and start a ministry to homeless people? These would have been noble intentions, but they would have been completely irrelevant in light of what God's imminent plans were. Noah did not call on God to help him accomplish what he was dreaming of doing for God. In Scripture, you never find God asking people to dream up what they want to do for him. He never urges his people to set impressive goals and generate grand visions for him or for his kingdom. Later on, Blackaby went on to say, Why don't we realize that doing things God's way is always best? We cause a great deal of pain in our relationships and division in our churches because we act in our own wisdom. We decide what we think is best for our family, our business, or our church. We develop our plans. We implement our strategies, at times imposing them on others and then experiencing the meager or even destructive results of our limited knowledge, reasoning, and power. Oh, that we would discover the difference when we acknowledge Christ as head of his church. We will accomplish more in six months through a people yielded to him than we could in 60 years in our own strength and wisdom, end quote. Clearly, clearly we need to seek the Lord. We understand that, I think. We need to wait on the Lord, and we need to follow the Lord. We know that, but it's difficult to do that. And applying this, I think... I want to do something here. I think the point being made in in seeking the Lord, waiting on the Lord, following the Lord, not moving ahead of the Lord, there's something I think that sometimes we can trip over and we we do need to clarify it, clear it up. Uh, Because there's a difference between making plans and strategies within, within what God has already revealed to us in his word. And then there's plans and strategies in the areas where he has not made it plain and clear. Let me explain what I mean. We know that God has clearly revealed to us that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's, that's not up for debate, is it? That's the basic fundamental commands. We know there's two basic fundamental commands that, that flow out of all the rest, that flow into, sorry, all the rest of them, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
Any debate on that? I don't think so. I hope not. The Bible's really clear that that is what we're called to. So we don't have to pray about and wonder about that area. There's no disputing it. However, when it comes to applying this, we need to make the distinction between when we need to seek the Lord's will before we should act and when we should simply act knowing the Lord's will. Because we, you know, it gets confusing sometimes. When, so you seek the Lord, you wait on the Lord when. You make plans, you go ahead and you do things when. When is that? Here's what, I, here's what we have to understand. In implying the command to love our neighbor, there is both reactive and proactive responses to it. There's reactive. The reactive sees a need and then responds to it. The proactive dreams, plans, and strategizes ways to love the people around you. See the difference? Stuff happens in life, right? You walk through life, and what needs present themselves. And at those moments, you don't have to say, you know, I need to, I need to stop for a moment. I need to pray. I need to seek the Lord and know what his will is to know whether or not I should do this or not. No, uh, that is clear. God has revealed to you at that moment this need that needs to be taken care of. So you take care of it. The place, the place where we get into trouble and need to seek and wait on the Lord for what he is doing is in the realm of the proactive that is both involved and elaborate. Now, here's another distinction I want to make. Because you can proactively decide to do something that's not very involved or elaborate. It's simple, it's plain, it's mundane, it's just the usual stuff of life. And these distinctions need to be made. Let me explain why. Because we can become paralyzed in uncertainty, uncertainty because we aren't sure if what we're doing is properly seeking and submitting to the Lord or not. And then we wonder, is this just of me or is this of the Lord? But it needs to be kind of clear. And we need to have clarity in this regard so we can move forward and know where it is we should seek and wait on the Lord and where it is we should move forward. And this is why these two distinctions. Is it reactive or proactive? The reactive, it's clear. You need to respond. You know, the Good Samaritan, you see someone lying in the ditch, you respond. Make a plan. I need to get this guy to the, to the hospital as soon as possible. That, that's clear. And then there's a proactive, where you're actually sitting back making a plan. And within the proactive, there's two categories. There's the small, the minute, the mundane, the usual things of life. And then there's these bigger scope, grander plans. And when it comes to seeking and waiting on the Lord and seeing what it is the, where it is the Lord is at work, we're talking about this category here of that's larger, more complex, proactive, where we're seeking the Lord to know what is it you're doing, Lord, in this community around us. I want to flesh this out a little bit for you. If you see someone in need, God has revealed his will to you. And you need to react to the situation in love and make a very quick plan as what to do. And then do it. So as you prayerfully go throughout your day, you're walking with the Lord and in prayer, and you're mindful of the Lord and what he's doing around you, and you even ask him, the Lord, to reveal to you these things. These things come up, and you react to them as you see them. And this should be pretty simple and easy. The other part to this is that there's a proactive measure that's also simple and easy. 
this is, this is the area where it comes to thinking about how it is you perhaps might love your wife, your children, or your neighbor, or someone close to you. And so you're pr- proactively thinking. Of course, you prayerfully are proactively thinking, but you, can, you, don't have to, you don't have to spend a long time in the Lord, waiting on the Lord, thinking on the Lord, how you can love them proactively. For example, if you decide, um, man, I should really show a really kind gesture of love to my wife. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a plan. Every Friday when I'm home, going home from work, I'm going to buy a single rose and I'm going to bring it to her. Just I want her to know that I was thinking about her. You, you don't have to pray about that and really wait on the Lord and wonder if that's a good idea or not. Even though that's proactive, it's, it's, it's still very simple. Now, here's where it gets into the category, when should we wait on the Lord, seek the Lord, and really, what is your will, O Lord? It comes to these proactive areas. You're making a plan, and it's more complex, it's more involved, and it becomes larger, and you're now moving into the realm of somewhat uncertainty as to what to do. This is where, this is where you need to seek the Lord and wait on him. This is where areas, especially of a church, we're to ask the question, what should we do to reach the community around us with the gospel? Here, here is an example of how I think we fail to answer that question. So the, it seems like a very good question, but what are the first things we usually do? If this is what we do, I think we're doing it wrongly. We're not seeking the Lord, and the Lord is not revealing his work because we're not seeking him or waiting on him and following him. If we were to sit around and we start coming up with some great ideas, all kinds of, and we think they're just wonderful, we just list about 20 of them, and there's just ways that we can reach the community around us. And then all of a sudden we said, let's pick the top three. And so we pick three, and then uh, we said that we're going we're to start these three ministries this year. And what I want you to do is like, so at the end of the meeting, we're all done. So let's just pray that the Lord would bless our efforts. And someone closes in prayer, and we pray that God would bless our efforts. And away we go. In that particular scenario or situation, we are not seeking the Lord, waiting on the Lord, or following the Lord to see what it, where is he at work and what is he doing. This is our dreams, our ideas, our plans of what we're going to go and do. And, if we, and, and here's the thing. If what happens as we go and do that, and we come back and we, we realize um, that, that didn't work out so well. We went out, we tried the ministry, it wasn't too effective, it wasn't too good, you know, not too many people showed up, it was really kind of flat, it just seemed like there wasn't a lot happening. And so what we do, typically we do, in those scenarios, is we sit around and we brainstorm and we strategize ways to make better plans and, and, better, and better improvements about how we can do a better job at it, what it is we're doing. And when we're done, we ask the God, we pray that God would bless us. That's a very typical pattern of how we work. And then we have the event or the ministry, we do it, we come back, we evaluate it, what went, what went well, what went bad, what needs to change, we change it, we pray about it, and we do this again, and this is the pattern. In that particular scenario... This is like Israel taking the land according to their own dreams, plans, and imaginations. Israel says, get together. Joshua says, hey, guys, listen, we've got to go in the land, and if we're going to go in there, we gotta t- God promised us the land. We've got to take the land. Do any of you guys have some really good ideas? Okay, so Joshua, he gets the whiteboard out, and they start coming up with some great ideas, and, 
and they get it all figured out and they say, this, this is brilliant, actually. I like this. I like how we're, we're doing this. And so, and they go and they do it and they find that not only is God not with them, <laughs> it seems as though he's against them. But that's, we understand, that's not how it works. So even God says promises and tells them what they're going to do. You're going to go and take the land. But, but you understand something. It's not a, it's not a, God's not standing back and saying, go get them. God was in front saying, follow me. This is what I want you to do. This is the work that I'm doing. And sometimes it's crazy. This is what I want you to do. I want you to march around the city. Put the band out front, you know, and just have a good old time walking around the city. Now, if you're to go back to the Joshua in the drawing room, you say, Joshua, um, I think those plans are crazy. That's weird. That's dumb. That's not how you take a city. I mean, I've been around battles enough. That's not how it works, right? Well, Joshua says, but that's what God has called us to do. And so guess what? That's what we're doing. And so that's what they went and did, and God was with them. God goes before them, and that's exactly how they took the land. They go seek the Lord, they wait on the Lord, and they follow the Lord. It's, it was the Lord who took the land for them. It was the Lord who goes before them. It was the Lord that they're following. And whenever Israel decided that they would not follow this route and go do their own thing, it didn't work out so well, so well for them, ever. I challenge you to go read the stories of the Old Testament. And start with Exodus and go all the way through and read and see how it turns out for Israel or any of the kings who think they're going to charge out and do something and become really clever. It doesn't work out. So when it comes to understanding the issue, when do we seek the Lord? We've got to... And when does God, and how does God reveal his work to us? We've got to make a distinction because God is revealing his work to us in the quiet, the mundane, and the reactive situations that we react to. So we prayerfully respond to them. But in terms of developing, when it comes to the proactive, big ministry, life, big situation stuff, this is where we need to seek the Lord and wait on him and look for his direction. We follow the Lord in this because we don't want to run ahead of him. I hope that's cl- that clarifies somewhat as to like, you know, because I, I know it, it can be a struggle as, as we read and, and think about this material. It's like, should I, you know, when and where and what situations do I seek? Do I wait? Do I wait and let God reveal that to me? And, and, I, and I think they can help clarify that situation. The next question I think that pops up is, okay, if we understand and we can distinguish between where it is and when it is, God, uh, we are supposed to seek and wait on the Lord and wait on him and follow him and his plans. Um, It comes to the area of how. How does God reveal his will to us? You ever have that question? You ever want to, like, how? Do I hear a voice? what, what, what What does that mean? What does it mean to... Um, follow the Lord, or how, how does God reveal his work to me so that we can walk into that and follow him in that? Now, I have to confess, in trying to answer that question, um, I'm in way over my head. Because 
this has really been a massive area for me that is incredibly convicting, everything I'm saying so far, because I'm the kind of person who is um, running ahead and praying as I go that God would bless me and just charge, uh, ready, fire, aim, let's go. And so someone was to ask me, Dean, what does it mean? Like, how does God reveal his work to me? I'm going to say, okay, let me just say I'm a student with you. I'm going to back off a second and go, I, I'm learning. I'm not ta- I'm, now I'm not going to say this is, this is how it is because I'm going to explain to you how it works even from my own experience and line that up with Scripture. What I'm going to do is I wrestled with Scripture and as I looked at, at so many of these different texts and things, I'm going to share with you what seems to be getting very very clear to me about this. How does this work? How does God reveal his work to us? Let me put it this way. And and remember this. This should be etched in your minds. God reveals his work in ways that are both plain and clear. This is important. Because even as I think, thought about this, as I wrestled with it, I couldn't find a place in Scripture where, where God reveals his will to his people, what he wants them to do, where it was anything other than plain or clear. The only thing that I could think of is that sometimes God would give kings and rulers dreams and visions that were very confusing and perplexing, which certainly... You know, they needed help with what is being said here. Like, they, they were often very disturbed. You can think of Pharaoh. You can think of uh, Nebuchadnezzar. You, you can think of these, especially these Gentile kings. God would often mess with their heads. And then he would, he would ca- cause us great distress. But God was doing a work there. He wanted to reveal it. He wanted to make it plain and clear. But he was only going to do that through his people, through his prophet. Think of Pharaoh for a moment. Pharaoh, who he has this dream. Can you imagine having this dream? You're dreaming one night, and there you see seven big, roasty, fat, luscious cows. There they are. And then you, and then you see seven lean, starving cows that are looking incredibly anemic and ready to cave in. And then the seven lean ones go and eat the seven big ones. And he wakes up and he's totally confused. That would be confusing. But what's interesting about that, even that is an example, even though you see that it's so perplexing and so confusing, the interpretation was both plain and clear. And once you get the interpretation, it's like, ah, oh, yes, okay, that's, I get it. Seven, the seven fat cows, those represented seven prosperous years where Egypt was going to have a bountiful harvest. And the seven lean cows, these represent seven lean years, where they're going to experience famine. And the the, the seven years that you stored up in the seven prosperous years, you're going to use those as your food for the seven lean years. Now, okay, he hears that and understands it like, oh, yes. When you hear the interpretation, it's both plain and clear. Was there any ambiguity there? No, real simple. But hearing the vision in the dream, or having the vision in the dream, was incredibly perplexing to them. But apart from, say, examples like Pharaoh or Nebuchadnezzar or the other ones like that, when you, when you think of God's people 
When God directed them, gave them a directive, or when they sought for specific um, requests from him, and they, and they poured out their hearts to him, God would reveal his, his will, and it was always plain and it was clear. Just think of a couple of examples. When God revealed his will to Abraham, it was super clear, without ambiguity. He told him, this is what he said, leave your family and your country and go to the land which I will show you. Now, the only, the, and then he tells them what he's going to do for them. This is what I'm going to do for you. I am going to make of you a great nation, a nation that will bless all nations. Because from you and from your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now, of, of course, that is actually so plain, so clear, so crystal clear, that what it actually calls for is follow-up questions, not in terms of what you need to do, but a lot of the, the peripheral questions like who, what, where, when, why, like do you mean now or next week or do you mean, do you mean me and my family, who else is included, you know, so we clarify. But what he's to do in terms of it's not, oh, I don't know, like, you know, what does this mean? Uh, does this mean that I'm... You know, I'm not sure. Is, is, am I supposed to leave? Am I supposed to stay? I'm really confused here. No, it was clear. You're to leave. You're going to leave here, and you leave your family, your country, and you go to land I'm going to show you. And in that land, I am going to bless you. We can think of Moses. Moses was clearly told to go. This is how, what God told him to do. He revealed his will. I want you to go and deliver my people from Egypt. Plain and clear. Moses is like, uh, I got a few follow-ups. Uh, me? <laughs> yeah, you. I can't speak. Doesn't matter. You know, he, he's, can you get someone else? Can someone, you know, so he's, he's, it was clear and it was plain. And what he's struggling with is himself following and obeying this command. It's, it's, it's like freaking me out. This, I don't really like this. You've got the wrong guy. Please. I know you do. And God keeps convincing him, no, it's you. No, it's you. I am with you. I'm going to go before you. This is going to do with you. And he actually, God keeps answering his questions and dealing with his trouble and, and confirming to him that, no, this is what I want you to do, and I'm going to be with you. I also love the story of Gideon. The Lord appears to him and tells him to go and subdue the Midianites and deliver Israel. That's what he said. I want you, let's know plain and clear it is, to go. Deliver, the, uh, deliver my people Israel from the Midianites. Okay. <laughs> so the only thing left is some clarifiers. Gideon's like, who? This is what he says, who, me? Me? Like, you got the wrong guy, and here's why. He says, how could I, when I, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house? So, Smallest clan, like Manasseh, smallest. We're, we're, and in that, now, and as you get closer, I'm the least in my father's house. So if you, you truly went down to the pit and you got the wrong guy, this is how it works. But the Lord responds to him, and the Lord doesn't get upset with him. He just says, I will be with you and you will defeat them. Okay, Gideon, that's great and great news. But he wanted a sign from the Lord. Lord, still struggling, having troubles with this. Uh, could you give me a sign? And so what does the Lord do? He says, okay, he prepares a sacrifice, and it puts it on a rock, and he consumes it. Gideon wasn't done. That was great. 
That was really good. But as we know, Gideon says, could you give me another sign? Lord, if you're really with me, I'm going to put this fleece out. And if it's all dewy and the ground's dry, then I'll know it's from you. God does it. Okay, one more time. I'm just not sure yet. Um, please forgive me for asking one more time. Can, can you flip it around this time? Can the, can the, the ground be dewy and, this, and the fleece be dry? And it happens. And God is just kind to him constantly assuring him it was both plain it was both clear and the only thing he struggles with is him doing it and so god is not into ambiguity he's not into confusion he's not into like wow i don't like i think i think that's what he was saying but man uh, i don't know if it was what he was saying or was the pizza last night i just not i'm just not sure it wasn't that at all And this is the thing that we have to understand. Ask the question of this. It's, and this, to me, is very, it's very helpful and important because sometimes we start to wonder whether or not we are missing something. Did I miss it? Yeah. No, you didn't. God will make it plain and clear. You don't have to worry about that. That's, and to not worry about that helps a ton. God will make it plain and clear. So we don't, have to, we don't have to doubt or worry about vagueness or what the step, the, the step is. It's like confusion is not from God. He is, and God is good and he's kind. He's not impatient. I told you to do this and you didn't and I'm going to wipe you out. It's like I didn't even understand what you're talking about. No, not going to happen. God is gracious, God is kind, and God makes it clear. He doesn't deal in vague generalities, mystic weirdness, and all kinds of confusion. It'll never be that God says to you, I, you know, I, I revealed to you what I want you to, wanted you to do, and you didn't do it. And we go, really? What, what, what did you reveal to me? To which he responds, remember the other day when you walked in Starbucks, and the open sign was blinking? What I was do, I was saying to you is that those people are open to the gospel and you should preach it. Really? Yeah, that's what I was saying. Yeah. No. Yeah, it means the store was open. <laughs> that's not what God was saying. It's not how God revealed his work to us. And, some, and this is why that's so important. Sometimes that's how weird we get. We're looking for signs. Oh, no, there's my sign. The open sign's blinking. This must mean that God is telling me their hearts are open and that I've got to go over there and preach it. Um, no, go get a coffee, calm down, <laughs> open your Bible, and um, enjoy the Lord and your cup of coffee. <laughs> God, he makes it plain and he makes it clear and you don't have to worry about it. All we have to do, because here's the other thing we get incredibly impatient. Like I said at the beginning, what do we not like to do? Wait. And because we waited a little while, we start thinking, oh, you know, he must not be showing up. Something's wrong. We're doing, we need to get going, guys, because it, it's been too long, and clearly we are making a mistake. God's given us signs, and we, he's, he's revealing his will, and we're not getting it. Um, we need to do something. 
You know who that sounds like? Comes to my mind? Saul. He waits seven days, and he was commanded. He was clearly told what to do. But he starts getting nervous. It's day seven. The people start dispersing. He's waiting on Samuel. He was supposed to wait on Samuel. Samuel was going to come and offer the sacrifice. And Saul, the leader, is looking around. The people are dispersing. They're waiting, and I can't keep them here any longer. Clear, I think I'm getting a sign here. This must mean that God wants me to act. God wants me to do something because I'm getting antsy. No, God was just simply testing him. God wanted him to wait on him. God wanted him to trust him and follow him. That's what God wants for us. He doesn't need Saul to get all antsy and, and, and go put, take matters into his own hands and go, and, and go do what he needs to do. But that's what Saul did. And it was a bad move. Super bad move on his part. God took the kingdom from him as a result. So one thing I want us to please leave here this morning. And understand this. God reveals his work to his people and what he wants them to do. And so the question we might have is, how does he do that? Well, I'll tell you what. First and foremost, don't worry. Seek the Lord. Wait on the Lord. And he will make it plain and clear. Know that. It won't be ambiguous. It won't be confusing. It won't. And if it is, you need to continue praying and seeking and waiting. If you see confusion, if you see uh, uncertainty, and you're not sure, and you're like, oh, no, I hope I'm not missing it, it doesn't work like that. It'll be plain, it'll be clear, and God will make, allow you to see it so that you could follow him in it. He's a good God. He doesn't deal in confusion. So where is the Lord at work? Well, there's places where we know we clearly what he's doing as he reveals to us. There's places that there's things that we don't know. Those bigger, greater issues in life that we're proactively planning and seeking and looking forward to and wondering about, we need to seek the Lord, wait on the Lord, and he will make it plain. Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you do make things plain. You do make them clear. You call us to seek you. You call us to wait upon you. We call, you call us to, to follow you. Lord, you are at work in this world around us. And you fundamentally want us to be in relationship with you and to delight in you and to seek you and to wait on you and to look to you and to follow you. You have made that clear to us, O Lord. And so as a church, as Redeemer, we we do, we look to you, O Lord God. And I just ask, Father, that you would, as we know you will, you will make it plain. You will make it clear. Teach us, Father. Oh, that we would wait on you, trust in you, and follow you all the days of our lives. Amen.